0: All right, everyone. Welcome back. This is Ryan Selkis, and you're listening to Masari's Unqualified Opinions, where each week I interview crypto's top builders, investors, and personalities to discuss the key trends in the industry. You can discover more about Masari at masari.io. But for now, let's get right into the episode. It's going to be a good one. This podcast is presented by BlockWorks Group, one of the top blockchain events and media production companies I've worked with for exclusive content and events that could help you with insight into the crypto and blockchain space. Check them out at blockworksgroup.io and you will not be disappointed. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Masari's Unqualified Opinions. I'm Ryan Stelkus at Two Bit Idiots. Uh, we've got another terrific interview today. Well, we don't know that yet because we haven't done it. But I'm just going to project in the future uh, that uh, this conversation with Alan Curtis from Radar uh, is going to be uh, something that you're going to want to tune into on iTunes, Spotify, or maybe you're watching it live on Twitter right now. Um, Alan and I have known each other for a couple of years. Uh, he was a pioneer. Uh, as a relayer in the decentralized exchange space. Um, And obviously that sector uh, of crypto, I would say, I would argue, went through its uh, peak of inflated expectations. And this was a year uh, uh, in 2019 where uh, things kind of crashed down to earth, and, and some of the structural challenges of running a dex uh, really, really came to light and, and became very obvious. So it's kind of a double whammy of the market just um, cooling off and volumes uh, getting you know uh, lower just in, in general, um, and then you uh, multiply that by the fact that dex was already a very, very small part of, of that overall market. So um, we're going to talk about some of the structural challenges to, to dex in general which we haven't heard nearly uh, as much about uh, in the last 12, 18 months, but it's still very structurally important. And then um, we're going to talk about radar and, and some of the full stack uh, solutions that they're, they're building and, and kind of how they think about um, the industry more generally, but, but in particular, you know, market making and, and things like that. Uh, in addition to maybe other things that, that Alan might want to cover as, uh, he has been a bit of man, a man of mystery, uh, in the last <laughs> year, which we were just talking about off camera. Um, Alan, what, why don't, why don't we, um, why don't we start with your backstory as I, as I like to do with, with all these conversations, just, you know, how you got into crypto, um, and then, you know, radar in particular, how, how you, you came to form an opinion on, on that being a killer market that you wanted to get into, um, and, and then, of course, we can walk through the evolution of the project and and uh, the i hope resurgence for that sector in general but but certainly uh, for for some of the things you're doing as well
1: yeah, yeah, happy to be here, Ryan. thanks so much for the invite uh, i 'll start with the origin story uh, as you put it i 've actually not really shared our origin story before um, i' loosely in, in a few tweets and and articles here and there, but um, it it began in a winding way i think much like uh, many folks in our industry is very orthogonal and um, for me it was it began with some graduate thesis work i was doing the intersection of economic security financial inclusivity and health outcomes i heard of bitcoin but unfortunately it did not fall down the rabbit hole and, and did not invest and, and did not uh, pers- uh out of school i was the program director at an incubator here in colorado helping companies build their team, raise money, get to market. I did that for, for many years. Um, and during that time, I met Caleb, Caleb, who's now my co-founder and CTO. But at the time, uh, Caleb was the very first data science hire at Coinbase. And, and thankfully for Caleb, he pulled me down that rabbit hole in, in early 2017, actually. Um, and we spent most of 2017 in my basement with a few other guys, whiteboarding furiously, um, about what would it look like to, to build a company in this space, and what are the hard problems that um, that that need to be solved? Um, and to your point around Dex and the the frontier um, or roller coaster ride that it's been, I, I think I think this is a good opportunity to talk about Radar's vision and Radar's strategy. Um, and and I think you know if you could go to our website and you, maybe you you've met me before and, and I have walked you through it. It's not clear um, if you're just a user of Relay, right? If you're just a user of Relay, you assume that we are a decentralized exchange uh, and that is what we do. When in reality, Radar is a multi-product company. It always has been and always will be. And the vision for us, right? The the North Star, the the why, why Caleb and I Uh, build products together is this idea of building products for our next financial system. Now, the building products part, that's pretty straightforward, and we're going to talk about that today. But it's the our next financial system that I think is a a head scratcher for some folks. So when I say our, I don't mean radar, our ownership, our, I mean the collective our. And when I talk about our next financial system, I don't know exactly how it's going to feel and look like and how it's going to taste and how it's going to work. But what I do know you know a few things what I do know is that it's going to be a hell of a lot more fair it's going to be a lot more transparent it's going to be a lot more inclusive and it's going to take some time um, a lot of time and and we believe that blockchain is the right tool for the job it's the right database to build this new financial system on top of but Um, the reality is it's a little bit of a frontier right now. And this is where our strategy comes in. And this is what we can talk about throughout the call. Um, So our strategy, right, is to, um, it's not just endure the frontier. It's really thrive on the frontier. Mm -hmm. I think there are three ways to do that. And this lines up with our product strategy. The first way, right, from from a Wild West frontier perspective, is you go all the way out West and you build a destination. These are things like general stores or saloons, right? And this is what we did, this is what we've done with two of our products, right? One of those destinations is Relay, which is the peer-to-peer exchange that we've built on top of 0x on the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, we launched that in 2017. And like Ryan mentioned, it we had um, this, this incredible run. And, and, and as the market sort of uh, started to, to, to go south, as our category compressed, um, Relay today owns a large part of the small market. Uh, The second destination or the second shingle that we hung um, is Redshift. Uh, Redshift is a a, a peer-to-peer payments tool, uh, payments rail on the Bitcoin blockchain using the Lightning Network. Again, another destination. And the, the reality is that a lot of these destinations in the wild in the Wild West frontier, they don't get a lot of foot traffic, right? You get mm-hmm. these crazy other cowboys that want to come and kick the tires and, and and visit the the general store and saloon. It's um, it's really difficult to build. And a thriving business with just destinations on the frontier, and so you mm-hmm. must do the second thing. The second thing is infrastructure, uh, and we've just announced a product called Deploy that I'm excited to talk to you about on the, on the interview today. Um, the infrastructure piece, right? This is how you get uh, the complacent, uh, happy people on the East Coast to to get on the wagons, get on the trains, and actually make their way out west and, and be pioneers, right? The wagon wheels, the train tracks, picks and shovels. And then the third way, and maybe the most important way to build a business on the frontier and, and, uh, and the third piece of our strategy is uh, building and selling maps. Um, you need maps, right? You need maps to know where the heck you're going, right? Do I cross the Mississippi here where it's really wide or do I go further north where it's narrow? What mountain range should I avoid? Um, and this is what we've done with ION. Right, Ion is, this, is the homepage of the Lightning Network. It's a community. It's wikis, guides, tutorials, newsletters, everything um, that you need to actually go out west. And so, Ryan, the, the vision for us, the vision at Radar, right, building products for our next financial system, it's going to take a while. So the way we do that, build destinations, infrastructure, and sell some apps. Um, and two and a half years in, um, we, we've got uh, a few in each category and uh, excited to tell you a little bit about Deploy in a bit.
0: There's a couple schools of thought, right? Um, In startups generally, you know, one uh, that is, you know, that kind of predominates is, you know, focus very, very um, narrowly on uh, a thin wedge that can help you dominate a small market, but then ultimately, you know, grow the pie as the the market grows and and ultimately you can extend the product in other areas. Um, And and everybody that's ever started a company kind of knows this as a truism <laughs> and it's like the advice you always get. Um, I find, uh, Masari is actually in a very similar situation where, where we we are in a small market, but we do have multi product uh, focus, all of which we kind of view as complementary. but, um, for us, you know, different data and information products seem to make sense for, um, for, for Radar, how have, how have you kind of taken this divide and conquer approach? Because um, the three things that you just mentioned are very different Mm -hmm. Um, and it's harder to see how complementary they are. Right. So, so is, is it spin up a product, um, get it to kind of good enough, until the market picks back up, like with Relay, is it, uh, and then kind of move on to the next and lay a bunch of those foundational bets with the expectation you'll redeploy capital wherever kind of the clearest fit is during the next cycle, um, or or is that kind of selling short the interrelatedness of, of some of these tools that you're building?
1: Yeah, great question, Ryan, and it's one that um, every investor I've talked to or. <laughs> or every new hire potential candidate we talk to, right. Cause they, they read Paul Graham's notes online or they Y Combinator, or they talk to their friend at his company. Like, aren't you just supposed to do just the one thing and, and the one thing, you know, you get your product market fit and then you raise a financing. And so I, I think that that the majority of the time in established market, that's the way to go double down, you know, get ready to die on a hill, create a category and, and, uh, burn the boats right and go after. Yep. Um, and, and I think there, that's that is an effective approach when it's clear you have product market fit when it's clear what the how the market is shaking out when mm-hmm. you're in a strong position. Now, we are in this incredibly dynamic market um, that is like decentralized exchange goes up and down, infrastructure goes up and down. Um, defi, right, comes out of nowhere. Stable coins come out of nowhere. And so For us, the name of the game is agility, and the name of the game is is hedging, hedging our risk. Um, We want to be here to usher in the next financial system, and that's going to take a while. And it is not clear today how the roulette wheel, when the roulette wheel stops spinning, where the value is going to accrue, right? It's clear that centralized exchange check, those guys are making money right? Compliance companies that are servicing these centralized exchanges check they're making money. Some of these token issuers, they, they've made some money. It's not recurring, um, but it's there. And so the, the the goal of radar, right, is to create as much surface area as we can in the destinations, infrastructure, and maps. And as the roulette wheel starts slowing down, then yes, to your point, Ryan, double down and allocate capital where we're having the, that breakout sort of escape velocity growth. Um, mm-hmm. We've we've had it once with with Relay, right? We went from Five guys in my basement working on an app to three months later having users in 150 countries um, trading you know 100 million plus in volume Um, and when we had it we thought we had it right there and so we were doubling down burning the boats and then the market started to fade and so we blossomed into these other categories so I think what you'll see in the coming years is clarity from the market from regulatory perspectives from we'll see what happens with DeFi and the blockchains will, will launch and we'll be able to focus on one of the three um, in a really defined and, and focused way. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, where are our volumes now just by uh, comparison? So if there's a hundred yeah. million at the peak.
1: Sure, yeah, so so good question. So um, I'm, I'm doing all this uh, end of the year planning now, I'm gonna share this publicly, um, maybe by the time this podcast airs, it'll be out. Um, but this year, so 2019, um, Relay will we'll have traded over $100 million um, mm-hmm. cumulatively throughout the year of 2019. Um, can, compare that to the month of like February 2018, where we did I think 60 million in, in one month. Um, and so what you'll see, what you see in our graph, it looks like a bimodal distribution. So mm-hmm. um, we we very quickly went from quarter four of 17 quarter one of 18 to a uh, hundred million dollars in volume and then 2018 the, the, the graph started to dip down and then we've actually it's, it's been up into the right this year our mm-hmm. category is growing um, but now we're sharing that pie graph with Uniswap and Bancor mm-hmm. and IDEX and a few other uh, a few other venues as well so the category itself is doing about five to seven million dollars of volume per day and then mm-hmm. you know relay and, and we sort of oscillate and are we first, second or third you know place throughout those days
0: yeah. Um so let, let's let's talk a little bit about the um, about the the decentralized exchange market. So uh, I think there, over the course of this conversation I want to come back to Ion and 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 of course we'll talk about lightning and some of the tools you're building there as well. Um, but uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about decentralized exchange first before pivoting. So so how would you break down the different um DEX models uh both uh, structurally in terms of how they function and, and some of the trade-offs um radars or relays positioning within that and then uh, ultimately how the infrastructure providers make money because you know it's very obvious how a centralized exchange makes money you make sure. money on the difference between the, the bid and the ask or trading fees or a combination um with DEX because it's a lot of it is facilitated with with smart contracts um it's just fundamentally different and, and there's there's different designs like bonding curves or decentralized order books that that you know people are just not as familiar with um but i'd love to explain like i'm 5 uh yeah, that's not yeah. the level i operate at anyway
1: um yeah for, for happy to too. Um, <clears throat> so i so i think to start we sh- we should rewind the clock to why was our first product a a relay right why did we want to build in this decentralized exchange space why didn't we build a portfolio tracker or a game or any of the other million things you know that was on the whiteboard back in 2017 and we decided to move forward with relay for a few reasons number one I was really fortunate uh, to have Caleb sitting next to me as the architect Caleb's one of the only people in the world maybe the only person in the world who's built a broker or has been involved with building a brokerage at coinbase uh, Um, actual centralized exchange with GDAX at Coinbase, uh, architected the Relayer with us. And then um, with Redshift, which we'll talk a little bit about here, has an RFQ, a request for quote design, on top of Lightning. So Caleb has been involved in uh, pretty much any exchange design that's been created to date. I think the only thing he hasn't built is a smart order router. Um, Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that was one reason is we had the expertise from Caleb. The second reason is we wanted to go to market with a product that would Help us achieve global awareness, right? And and so, for example, if we built a, um, a tax planning tool, right? Maybe that's useful in the U.S., but we don't get the 150 country distribution that a, a peer-to-peer exchange would. And number three, we wanted to build something that was very closely related to this ethos in our space around um, our next financial system—one that's more fair, more transparent, more inclusive. And so, for many reasons, for those three reasons, right? We decided to go to market with uh, uh, peer-to-peer exchange. And so we studied traditional exchanges. And we looked at how those rolled out, right? The electronification of markets, it starts with in the pit trading, it, it moves to uh, over-the-counter trading, which moves to order books, which moves to our um, request for quote design, which moves to smart order routers, which moves to dark pools. So we saw that playing out in traditional markets and we, and we looked at, well, where are we in? and from a crypto, um, where are we from, uh, in, in the crypto space? And this was 2017. And so we're about seven years into exchanges, um, right? Gox and others, Bitstamp and others ha- hadn't been around that long. And for us, the natural, um, extension was to move to peer to peer markets. Um, we are actually the third, uh, ever uh, peer to peer market to, build on, on top of Ethereum. And the, to answer your question directly, the mechanism design we use is this open order book, uh, now here's the explain like I'm five part. That wasn't much explain like I'm five. This will be the more simple part. Um, we decided to use zero X's smart contracts to create this open order book on relay. And you can think of that like Craigslist, um, Craigslist today, you show up and you sell your bike, you sell your couch, some stranger shows up, you don't know them. They don't know you. Craigslist doesn't take a fee. Craigslist doesn't match. You guys, um, you guys exchange. 50 bucks and you go and go on your way. That's like what happens on relay, right? We're not matching buyers and sellers. We don't have a smart contract that you're depositing into. We're not even charging fees on these trades. Frankly, we are a global bulletin board um, where buyers and sellers can meet and trade directly wallet to wallet. Um, that is in stark contrast to the many other types of decentralized exchange that exist, right? So there's everything from automated market makers where you deposit into a smart contract. Um, there's uh, decentralized exchanges with matching engines where they do buy and sell. Um, there are uh, decentralized exchanges that are just run by the actual company itself and they act almost like a bank teller as, as the market maker themselves. And Ryan, what I'm really excited about is across this category of decentralized exchanges, you have... Maybe five different models that are competing and we're seeing what the market likes what they don't like this year uniswap automated market maker has has really really come out of nowhere and, and been um, solved a lot of these liquidity challenges and, and uh, user experience challenges that an open order book like like ours was was facing
0: mm-hmm. um, uniswap is inter- interesting because uh there's there's no way for uniswap itself to really make money right the the, the liquidity providers the folks that actually you know uh, make the markets um in uniswap are the ones that ultimately are rewarded with the fees and 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 the rewards um, and uh Th- that is interesting. And it's definitely fascinated investors within the industry because they're like, oh, how can I make money off of this? And the answer, in short, is, well, you can't. <laughs> because it's better for small traders than it is for large traders, which is the exact opposite of all kind of centralized exchanges. Yep. yep. Um, and argu- arguably, is better for illiquid assets than it is for liquid assets. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Um, uniswap definitely one of the top stories i think of uh uh just in crypto you know of the year especially you know given the the history and background uh uh uh, of the project uh coming out of like a small ethereum foundation grant but um, what what are what are some of the other um the 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 nice part about seeing these different models out in the wild one you kind of get a sense for what people want and, and what works but that's not universal right so so if uniswap is good for like the little guys that are looking for access or exposure to illiquid tokens right what where do the other dex models fit in yeah um, Yeah, over time
1: yeah good question so i I think uh an assumption that some people make about me or about our company is that we're under this belief that decentralized exchange is the way forward and um centralized exchanges must perish and we should replace I don't feel that way. I I feel like we are deeply relevant to a long tail of global customers that can't or don't want to use some of these centralized exchanges. Right? We don't have fiat on ramps. We depend on the coin bases and um, of the world for that functionality. We don't have um, uh, KYC AML. Right? So institutions um, around the corner from from you in New York, right? They're not they're not coming to relay today. But the um, the, our users in South Korea, our users in the Philippines, our users in South America, they care deeply about Relay. Um, they care deeply about using all these different venues. So if I had to look into the future and project maybe just in the next year or so, what are we going to start seeing? Um, number one, there's a, a real uh, space race happening between Zero X and between Kyber right now. Right? Mm-hmm. ZeroX and Kyber mm-hmm. have come to this conclusion similar to the electronification of markets thesis that they need to be sharing and aggregating liquidity and so you 're seeing both protocols updating to aggregate other on chain liquidity so when things like um, uniswap break out and have success we can pull that liquidity into uh, venues like like relay um, so you're, so that 's one one thing to keep your eye on is that space race. There, um, mm-hmm. we'll be uh, updating right alongside 0x. We'll be able to aggregate all of that liquidity from all these on-chain sources. Uh, number two um, is the 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 let's call it the inbound of uh, automated traders or professional traders. So, in the last two and a half years, if I had a graph, um, the graph would look up into the right about professional market makers, professional automated traders who are starting to identify these peer-to-peer markets as the source of right new alpha, as, as a source of um, to, uh, less tight spreads than, than the centralized exchange. And these decentralized exchanges are finally building out the infrastructure and stability that they need um, to welcome these traders. So you're going to start seeing, I think, um, a lot more... Uh, automated trading volume come in. Uh, and maybe the, the, third, the third trend is we've been approached by a lot of large centralized exchanges about hybrid decentralized exchanges, right? We, we um, I guess I can't, I won't name any names, but anybody who's launched a, a project that looks like maybe like an ETH or a Binance Dex, we've talked to those centralized exchange and they're all excited to participate in this market they're just scratching their head trying to figure out um, some of the regulatory questions um, mm-hmm. um, how to share some of the order flow back and forth but i think 2020 it's a good year to be a decentralized exchange it's a tough year to launch a new one um, but it's a good it's a good year if you have an established mm-hmm. liquidity pool if you have automated traders who are integrated with you um, and, and really excited to for, for some big announcements uh, for relay in the first quarter actually
0: what are uh, what are kind of the reserve assets of of dex right now um, because you know i'm i'm skeptical that you know stable coins like usdc or or paxos right like some of these um, regulated uh, or, or uh, quasi uh, regulatory blessed right uh, stable coins are, are 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 or should be really you know fully integrated into into decks sure. because there there seems like there's way too much of a risk of like account seizure or or you know some regulatory you know headwind that, that would really wreak havoc on that market. Um, in that case, it's it's almost like a, a two horse race uh, between Dai, which everybody talks about in DeFi, and um, Tether, which yeah. You could argue is is still the the top decentralized stablecoin in the sense that um, you know that even if it is not fully reserved right now, there are so many important financial entities within the global crypto ecosystem that that seem like they will not let it fail or get uh, Dissuaded or or uh, or scared off by you know some of the underlying issues with respect to where money is held because it's so structurally important, right? So so even if it's fifty percent reserved or you know thirty percent reserved at some point, there seems to be a collective understanding of like we're all in this together, and if if this asset fails for the foreseeable future. We're all in a lot of trouble, so we can't let that happen.
1: (laughs) Yeah, look, to be clear, a lot of the volume across all the um, relayers and decentralized exchanges has been DAI, ETH, um, and then a few, just a few assets um, the Mm 0x's, the the Kyber, um, uh, BAT token, right? You're not seeing this long tail um, of inventory. Uh, like a lot of us, have you
0: have you started to see an uptick in the ERC twenty tethers since that
1: is? Yep, yep, yep. That's that's certainly been the case. I, I think you know if if you had talked to me if you had talked to me in, in early two thousand and seventeen, I would have told you um, we are onboarding the world to the token economy. and Everything that can be tokenized will be tokenized. Now, at the time, I didn't know the quality of all the teams building tokens, but I read the blog post and I saw the tweets and I was so excited about a token for airplane and a token for um, storage and a token for computing. And I was like, oh, we'll build this venue and and, um, we'll provide token abstraction. And when you go to use these dApps, you'll integrate with... And of course, that that has not been the case. And many of those teams didn't ship and many of those teams failed um, on on their... uh, you know their, their missions, um, and we've been left with a, just a few teams that are are making great tremendous progress. I think Dye's a, uh, the Maker team is a great example of that. Um, so, mm-hmm. Ryan, what I do want to mention um, is just around this category of um, of decentralized exchanges. A lot of the innovation's been happening uh, around around Ethereum, right? It's it's using smart contracts and. The reality is, if you talk to these automated traders, or if you talk to these more prosumer day traders, they want two things. Number one, they want access to Bitcoin. I mean, you can't get it. Uh, you can get wrapped Bitcoin, um, but it turns out that's that's not um, quite as exciting. So they want access to Bitcoin, and then they want faster, faster trading. And so what we, what we did, our R and D team took a look at. Layer two protocols, we looked at wrapped Ethereum, we looked at pretty much anything under the sun that would allow us to meet those two customer mandates, and that led us to Lightning Network. And and what we've built with Redshift is very different than what we've built with Relay. On the Bitcoin blockchain, where Relay is on the Ethereum blockchain, we don't use 0x, we use HTLCs, hash time lock contracts, and we're not using this open order book design, we're using a request for quote design where a customer would show up. A trader would show up, they would request a a quote, and then the um, market makers that use Redshift would provide a quote with the spread built in. And so we're really pushing the envelope in terms of what decentralized exchange is capable of, how fast we can do that, what inventory we can support. And on Redshift today, we just support Ethereum and Bitcoin, it's a new product. Um, But throughout 2020, we're going to be adding additional assets there, and we're going to be offering true cross-chain Atomic swaps, peer-to-peer, non-custodial, all the buzzwords here, we've got them. But the, the reality is um, we're finally fulfilling this promise of, of what decentralized centralized exchange uh, intended to do you know, year, years ago. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it's uh, it, it certainly going to be fun to watch. Um, the, the one question that uh, I asked up front, though, that, that was not really answered is um, – the economics of oh, right. Dex, yeah. right? Yep. Um, yes. And so you don't need to disclose your revenue figures, right? Sure. But, you know, with with centralized exchanges, you can more or less back into you know fifteen bips of volume, fifteen yep. to twenty bips of volume, kind of on average. Yep. That's a pretty quick and dirty um, yeah. estimate. And, and so at any given day of trading volume, you can extrapolate what their annualized run rate is, right? Or yep. week or whatever. Um, the, the, there's different models and decks. It's not quite as simple, but, but how do you um, make money from that market when the market is yeah. in many cases automated?
1: Yeah. Great question. So um, in many ways, it's the same as centralized exchanges. So if you look at a lot of the venues in the decentralized world, they're taking those uh, fees um, on trade. So it's, you know, 0.2%, 0.3% is, is what is pretty mm-hmm. traditional across venues we have actually elected to keep our fees at zero. Um, so since we launched Relay in 2017 to today, uh, in the foreseeable future, um, uh, those those fees are at zero. And we did that because we don't want to create even more friction for liquidity to move into the decentralized world. We don't mm-hmm. want to, create another reason for someone to just, ah, I'll stay with Binance, or ah, I'll stay with Coinbase. Um, and that's been a, a strategy a, that's been a decision I would do time and time again. It's what allowed us to go from relative obscurity, a few dudes in Colorado, to owning a really large part of, of, the, of this market. Um, and along So the, are, you, are you
0: making no revenue then as a result from
1: Dex? Correct. Yeah, correct. Yeah, correct. Relay has, re, Relay is not, we have not, moni- that is very much a, uh, some of some people in the community call it this, This let's call it a public good. Some people in the community call it like critically important infrastructure. Uh, We've contemplated many times about turning on, uh, turning on fees there. Frankly, we we have a really long term horizon and radar. Right, we're Mm -hmm. talking about this next financial system, Um, and I want to make it really easy for liquidity to move into this space. as as the reason why we went out and raised some, some venture financing rounds. It's the reason why we're building additional products is um, to find other places um, that that we want to monetize that won't create maybe as much friction to trial ability of a new product or service.
0: Yeah. I, um, so I, I, I understand the strategy. I'm not, I'm not so convinced that is necessary to compete, but I'm, I'm not as close to the ground. You know, I I would, if, if the competition is intra decks, then maybe that's marginally helpful from a narrative perspective. But if, if it's dex versus centralized exchange volumes, um, then you're just talking about a different user base, right? You're talking about folks that might value their privacy, the, their, the transportability, the self custody, um, all the things that are, you know, kind of more like hardcore, right. Uh, in the, in the community and not for the faint of heart, but, um, It it seems like a different user that's not necessarily going to care and in some cases might actually feel more comfortable if they knew, (laughs) okay, I can execute uh, this type of exchange. But by executing this type of exchange on this provider um, or using these protocols, I at least know that they're going to be maintained and updated so I can do it again someday. Sure. Um, because, yeah. because if, if there's no model whatsoever, then this is all, you know, you can't run yeah. on venture capital forever. Right. You so. bet.
1: You bet. Um, we're not running a nonprofit. Um, there, there will be yeah. a time and place to monetize relay. Um, we, we have liquidity goals. We have volume goals around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and frankly, we're, I agree with some of what you said around, right. If, if we turned, if we decided to turn on fees tomorrow, right. It's no, no one's pick, not, everyone's going to pick up and go home and say, fuck those guys. Um, right, they're, 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 there's a lot of, of um, uh, let's call it brand love for Relay. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of integrations into Relay liquidity that, that are, I think, very sticky. Um, it's just picking the right time uh, and the mm-hmm. right place to do that. I'm really proud to, to say that for most of the space, we've been the, the gateway integration in, into decentralized exchange. By making it free, we've really increased the flywheel of trialability ability for, for different teams and companies. It's really nice to be able to call uh, an automated trader or when I connect with the project and say, look, just integrate with our liquidity, right? We're not going to charge you for it. Try it out. Um, and yep. that is our surface area has expanded dramatically. Um, so in the future, um, yeah, not a nonprofit, uh, a for fair profit, but fair, fair right enough. Now, yeah.
0: Um, and is that a, an approach that you've taken cross product? So why don't we use that as a transition point uh, to we'll yeah. talk about Redshift and ION?
1: Yeah. Great, great, great transition. So, um, with, uh, Redshift, right? I mentioned we're moving to this RFQ design and we're really putting the liquidity provisioning that, um, in the hands of our market making partners who are providing these spreads. And so Redshift, guess what? Does not charge a fee. Um, the market makers get to decide what that spread is. So if, if you go to Redshift today, um, you, you, you want to pay Ethereum and get lightning Bitcoin back, a market maker is going to be on the other side of that trade and, um, they're going to decide what the price in. frankly we're seeing like pretty pretty low uh, pretty tight spreads there already um, mm-hmm. but similar similar approach for us um, so try, increase the triability increase the throughput show off uh, what a cross-chain atomic swap actually looks like a lot of people look at this product and are confused and uh, adding a fee on top of that um, we've seen that, that that can increase friction um, so again not a nonprofit in the future will, will be monetized Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, sorry,
0: maybe I misunderstood. But is Redshift working with Lightning now, or, or yeah? Yeah,
1: good, okay. good, good, um, good. Clarifying question. So, back to this R and D question, right, from Ethereum uh, Exchange, where people were asking for faster trades and access to Bitcoin. So, we went and did all this work, and we identified the Lightning Network and Hash Time Block Contracts um, as the viable mechanism to build this RFQ exchange on top of. But we had this epiphany, Ryan. We we realized that if we just rolled out Redshift in um, uh, early 2019, uh, no one no one was ready for a lightning network based peer to peer atomic swap. Like just the market just didn't get it. No one had wallets. There wasn't a MetaMask to that you just easily download and get started. And,
0: and, and to be clear, when you talk about atomic swaps on Lightning, you're talking about um, trading assets on Bitcoin and lightning, or you're talking about a bridge from a bridge. Bitcoin via lightning to Ethereum.
1: You bet. The second, the latter one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A bridge. Um, and no one, no one had built it. Um, no, no consumers weren't ready. Market makers certainly weren't ready. And so we felt this fiduciary duty, right? We felt it was incumbent on us to build some of this education in the market to, to create some core competency in, in our users. And so ION was born, right? ION is, a homepage of Lightning Network. You show up on radar.ion.tech, um, sorry, ion. and you're going to find guides and tutorials and wikis and everything you need to understand what the heck is is going on. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, at the bottom of that funnel, um, uh, you you understand how to use and transact and integrate with with Redshift. And that's been a um, that's been a journey of 2019, right? Our foray into Lightning, establishing brand credibility in a new space for us, hanging a shingle, building a destination around Redshift. Um, I'm, I'm really excited that we, we did it we got it done we're being integrated into a lot of the biggest lightning apps um, volumes picking up there a lot of market makers have reached out to, to provision liquidity so um, early days for that market still a very small market um, next year I think we'll see lightning uh, start to start to hockey stick like it did uh, earlier in 2019
0: how do you, um, how do you measure growth there? It, because, uh, on the one hand, uh, the channel capacity is maybe artificially constrained right now. I, I don't, I don't know exactly where the caps are, but the last I checked, it was something like $6 million 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 with yeah, an M, yeah, uh, yeah. On, on lightning. And so that, that's kind of part of it. And then there's another part where you shouldn't necessarily know the throughput in these channels, if you're running something, uh, like, like redshift, you, 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 really are only ever going to, or ever should know the working capital required to, to, to run these. So that's, um, there's a lot there that is uncertain, right? In terms of how quickly it scales number one, but also just ha- how to even kind of monitor and measure success from market share.
1: Yeah. So I'd, I'd like to use this as an opportunity to explore a macro question. Um, that we struggle with and then really answer your question at a micro level so like the macro question is um how do you build customer intimacy how do you collect business intelligence in a market full of technologies that are privacy preserving where the customer don't want you to pick up a call or to talk to them on intercom or answer a support question or they don't want to be rich they want their privacy so how do you do that um, when radar was born we were very much born as a product leader um, product leadership was in the DNA. what i mean by that Not arrogance around we were the the best, but what I mean is that we are so focused on the technology and the product. How fast could we do a transaction? What could we do with ZeroX? What could we do with Ethereum? Um, How does the technology work? Uh, And we've evolved into... a a company focused around customer intimacy. And it's really this, it, it's, a, it's a stark difference. And um, if you had told me when we started that I needed to become a customer intimacy business, I would have said, get lost, right? We're focused on the tech and the product and being innovative. And now that we're here, uh, as this company focused around customer intimacy, what do customers want? How are they actually... It's easier to collect that kind of data. So to to dive into the micro question, which is how do I even know what's going on with Lightning? It's qualitative. It's talking to teams. It's having teams share their Um, node metrics back with us Um, is operating our own nodes and seeing what's happening with terms of throughput. Um, It's connecting to um, Bitfinex's node and Bitstamp's node and um, all the miners and understanding what's actually happening from the inside out. And the inside out tells a very different story than the outside in, right? When you look from the outside in, it looks like, well, Cap, Capacity is constrained. Lightning network maybe not growing. There's less tweets about lightning than there was six months ago. But if you're in the, if you're in the sort of the eye of the cyclone, the eye of tornado, there, there's a lot going on. Um, all of all of the the teams that we're talking to, nodes are up and to the right. There's a lot of integrations happening. The development velocity is is moving. Um, it's still a small market, right? And and it's still measured in ms, not bs, as you said, right? Millions, not billions. And uh, and so our strategy, as as with all destinations that we build, is right. Let's put our let's plant a, uh, a flag and let's be there Figure we got the infrastructure and the map. So when folks show up, well, we're, we're the only uh, name, name in, in town. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so in, in terms of the two categories that you're talking about peer to peer payment with lightning and then, um, and then Dex, which is primarily, you know, built on Ethereum today, although Binance chain now has theirs, <laughs> and, you, you know, you're going to start to see, you know, eat same thing. Um, Although ETHFINEX is not its own chain, right?
1: they're built on. Correct. Yeah. Are correct. They use, well, yep.
0: uh, is it their own rails or is it Kyber or. It's Ethereum and zero X. Yeah. They are zero X. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's, it's mostly Kyber and zero X in terms of the rails. And then there's, you know, there's a bunch of you know liquidity providers around that with the exception of like a Binance. And so maybe we'll see some more competitive, you know, elements like that in the years to come, but, but TBD. Um, those two areas that you mentioned, are right at the heart of so much international, but U S specific, uh, regulatory hair. Right. Um, and for the first time earlier this year, we had this, um, this pronouncements that was not official. I think it was part of a speech where one of the uh, CFTC or SEC commissioners, I forget which one um, basically questioned the, the bedrock principle of like, whether, you know, is code, um, speech, right? Or, or could you ultimately hold responsible developers of some of these uh, technologies if they're misappropriated? Um, and I think that there was justifiable, you know, uh, pushback on that. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, many people, you know, wrote it off and, and I think it probably will be a, a battleground for, you know, uh, for legal cases in the future. How do you think about, um, your own regulatory positioning, but more importantly, the regulatory positioning of any business that's shipping code that could facilitate decentralized exchange or peer to peer commerce that is inevitably going to lead to tax evasion and money laundering by people that choose to do that. Um, but we'll be able to do so in like a peer to peer way online that is much, much more difficult to track. Um, and we're going to leave aside the, the qualitative assessments of like, whether those laws are good or fair or proper. Sure. I have my own political persuasions as you, that's probably going to be more similar to the early Bitcoin community <laughs> in terms of uh, whether those are bullshit or not. But um, the fact remains that there is no one to really point the finger at just yet. Um, sure. How do you, how do you even get started with those conversations from a, a regulatory standpoint or even internally when you think about your own risk?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a really fair question, and, and it comes up each interview that I do or each person that I talk to. Um, so so I take this stuff really seriously. First and foremost, being compliant, following the right regulations, it's a moat around your business. It's a competitive advantage. It's not something, in my opinion, to be avoided it's not something to run from. It's not something to try to, uh, do re domicile your company in different jurisdiction to get away. I live in Denver, Colorado. I'm a happy customer of the U S government. I'm a happy customer of, of all of these regulatory agencies. Um, th- these are important, uh, important piece of our justice system. We wouldn't have the, this powerful heartbeat of entrepreneurship in our country w- without these, um, uh, swim lanes in place or w- without these guardrails in place. So, um, before we started uh, radar in August of 2017, everything came to a full stop um, paid more money than I want to share to Morrison Forrester um, to, to check all the box, FinCEN, FTC, FTC SEC, um, mm-hmm. state laws, all you name it. Um, uh, well, well can, can you share anyways, that? I want to, I want to oh, push uh, on that. You, yeah, you, uh, because this is uh, like people
0: have, oh, oh. understand how much money actually costs to, to do this the right way. Um, we
1: spent, <laughs> um, Yeah, I'll share it. You're getting some good scoops, Ryan. Um, We spent, so early, right, seed stage, we hadn't even raised money yet. Uh, We didn't even, we had just formed our entity. uh, um, $50,000, $50,000 in, uh, I don't know if I can say, boom, they'll probably yell at me, but um, that was for uh, an investigation of all those different agencies. And then second, a very robust uh, token compliance process. So I, I think a mistake that a lot of, um, I think I've actually might have shared that with you in the past, a lot of exchanges made the mistake of just adding uh, tokens left and right and, and doing no due diligence. Instead, we went and hired from Goldman Sachs a full-time director of token analysis who's still with us, still, uh, still drives that process um, two and a half years later. Uh, and alongside that, compli- that token compliance process, we went to market feeling good about our legal strategy. Over time, we've continued to invest and reinvest uh, now we've picked up working with Cooley. We work with a, a two man band, um, special SEC uh, attorney group in DC. Um, we've actually went and hired a full time corporate counsel internally at Radar from Polsinelli um, that drives the process from a fiduciary duty to the company uh, perspective. And so I think we have dotted every I and crossed every T that we can for our stage. Um, to the point where when we did due diligence for our our seed round and our Series A, um, investors came back quite pleased or continue as we talk with um, potential candidates to work at Radar. They do a lot of their own due diligence as well. They talk to their uncle who's a lawyer. They talk to their friend who's a lawyer, and it comes back, um, you know, uh, thumbs up. And so, Ryan, I think the, the secret sauce in terms of why we feel that we're very compliant um, with each of those agencies is something, and I'll probably keep closer to the vest because it is a real moat um, and it is a real competitive advantage, but suffice to say, regulatory is hard. It's capital intensive. You got to have patience, but if you do it right, you can build a real moat around your business and you can set a good example for what the space needs to grow and mature into. And I'm really pleased mm-hmm. with the with the progress we've made there.
0: Fair, fair, answer. Uh, and, uh, and, and, certainly one that I'm sure is refreshing for the regulators and, and, and folks that you speak with. Um, the, um, it remains to be seen, uh, kind of where the responsibility uh, ultimately lies anyway. Right. Uh, it, when it comes to non-custodial decentralized exchange, because, it. uh, it, it, if, if you kind of button everything up in terms of the software that you offer, um, that, Still doesn't mean that you necessarily control the intentions of the end users, which I would argue is a good thing uh, and a healthy thing, and and ultimately creates enough friction where, like, if if you're gonna, you know, circumnavigate the law, then you know you're you're taking a risk that you're ever found out uh, and and have to deal with the consequences. But but this kind of dragnet surveillance. Um, and uh, and kind of sweeping indictments of, uh, of you know, customers. I go back to the Coinbase, uh, you know, subpoenas and the, you know, 13,000 people from 2013 that, that have to deal with all this retroactive um, tax policing. And I just think it's going to be a nightmare. Uh, and one of the reasons it's going to be a nightmare is because, you know, none of the exchanges had any tax reporting like infrastructure in place. So if you send money from, from Coinbase to, circle or circle to Kraken or in you know, an international exchange or to a hardware wallet, that that cost basis reporting is, is a complete nightmare. And it's only going to be 10 times worse in uh, the 2017 crop, especially because you're going to have issues where some of these exchanges consolidate, wind down, sell for spare parts, move their domiciles. Yeah. And and, and you're going to have to do this in many cases, like four or five, six years in the past for infrastructure. that in some cases, just does not even fucking exist anymore.
1: Yeah. Um, EY, EY is going to get a lot of business. They're going to be happy campers. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, the lawyers and the accountants always make money, right? So Ryan. W- yeah. So the, the last thing, the last thing I'll share just to close the loop on, on regulation. And then I want to share um, about a little bit about deploy. Um, we don't trade securities. We don't, mm-hmm transmit funds on behalf of our users. We don't ever take custody or touch user funds. We don't take fees. We don't match buyers and sellers. And so we have really gone out of our way um, to, to to be compliant and work with regular. Now, that is not the case for many other venues. And so I'm with you, Ryan. I think that there's a future in next year, 2021, 22, um, where you do, do start to see teams that didn't invest in compliance and regulatory get get um, some, some slaps on the wrist or, or uh, some large penalties. And so um, it's a matter of, of when, not if, in, in my mind. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so let's, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll close the loop. I think
1: um, you mentioned Deploy, uh, which um, yeah. is like the most recent project. So yeah. let's, let's talk about that uh, to wrap up. Yeah, and, and this is what I was most excited about to, to, to come on the show and, and chat with you about. Um, this is a major announcement for us as, as a company that is known right, for building consumer applications around DeFi and trading and payments. This has been, think, and can will continue to be a big news to the community. So Ryan, over the last two years or so, we have fielded dozens of questions from teams all over the world around node operations, node ops for short. They all wanted help knowing how did you handle geth and parity when you were, when, you know, you went, um, to to scale when you went to market globally around the world with relay and how did you get started on bitcoin so fast and did you build indexing and how many devops engineers do you have and who should we have and every time we would answer those calls my cto would do emails or my vp of engineer we would hop on telegram and and resolve an issue Um, and what we've what we came to realize in about early 2019 mid-2019 is how stuck our industry is. The rate of development of new applications, whether they be games or DeFi, uh, NFTs, you name it, is 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 really slow right now. And the reason, if you look under the covers, under the hood, is because every team is investing not in marketing, growth, design, user experience. They're investing in DevOps, back-end engineering, blockchain engineering, protocol. Um, because this... Let's call it uh, this, this node infrastructure is so immature, right? It was designed for one person to run on one computer, not to support mm-hmm. a, a, a business, not to support an international business, a global business. And there's this mismatch in the market um, where, where teams are investing in the wrong thing. They're not investing in customer intimacy. They're investing in product leadership like, like, like we did. Um, and so we're, we're really excited. Uh, to, to announce and roll out deploy um, the very first node ops platform. Um, we launched it in, in early November to friends and family and a few small free trials. Uh, and we're going to be making a lot of noise uh, with, a, with a loud launch here in the, in the first quarter.
0: Is this something that's going to look similar to uh, an alchemy or bison trails? Uh, some of these, you know, newer funded companies that um, are yeah. running similar systems or or what's Good the question? Twist here? Yeah.
1: So let's, let's talk about the state of, of node So we were um, one of the first customers of Infura, one of the first customers of Alchemy um, and, and we, we depended on those companies. We didn't, we were in a very similar position, right? We didn't have a lot of this infrastructure ourselves. And so we worked with these, um, these API gateway services, like some of the ones you mentioned. Um, problem is over time, a few things happened. Number one, um, it got prohibitive from a cost perspective, like, five-figure bills doesn't make sense when I could go hire a a handful of great DevOps engineers to do it myself. Number two, as we had a global business, um, these these providers that you mentioned are running out of local data centers. And so if you have a a customer in the Philippines and there's a data center in Virginia, welcome to latency, welcome to bad user experience, especially if you have automated market, automated traders who build their... Their livelihoods around latency. I we got some some rough phone calls around latency. Um, and the third reason um, is uh, customizability. So if you want to build a business around Bitcoin, and you want access to Bitcoin nodes. Guess what? Those providers don't do that. They're very much landlocked to Ethereum. If you want to add indexing middleware, uh, middleware of your own build middleware from the community. Good luck. You can't do that, right? You're just hitting an API. So from our perspective, Ryan, and, and the differentiator here around what is a Node Ops platform and, and what does it mean to have built the first Node Ops platform, it's really focused around customizability. We think that speed and reliability, while important and necessary, um, are table stakes, right? They're, they're not sufficient. That, that Everyone should be able to do that. Any node provider that you call and you work with, like reliability, speed, we should be all, all be able to do that. But it's really about customizability. This is what we need. This is what our industry needs. Um, we need modern software design. We need modern DevOps tooling. Right? We're, we're not going to uh, one exposed API is it's not enough to to build an enduring company on top of. It. So uh, with Deploy we have two tiers or two plans, right? And they're they're kind of similar to uh, a carpool on Uber or a rental car, right? So this API gateway service, um, one endpoint, right? Everyone's going to hop in the same node. There's going to be three people in the back seat. Uber driver is going to drive as fast as they want. You don't get to control that. You don't get to pick the music, but you get there. You know, it works um, for, for, for the job and it's going to be a little cheaper. Or, right, you can pay a little bit more and you can rent a car. You get to just de- decide how fast you want to drive. You get to pick the music. Um, you get to decide if you want to pick anybody up and put them in the backseat and deploy the first platform to offer both. Right, We have this API gateway service um, for teams that are just developing or are getting started or, or maybe just need that. Uh, simple functionality, then we have an owned node. You can SSH into the node. Um, you can uh, tweak uh, and change any of the node parameters. You can add middleware and, and actually build something uh, that a modern uh, software team should uh, should be able to. And so uh, that is uh, Deploy in a nutshell. I'm so excited about this product. Um, it's, it's what I feel that our industry needs to take the next step of development velocity and shipping velocity. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, uh, it sounds like a, it'll be a, a fun 2020 for you. Uh, definitely looking forward to seeing how some of these things materialize. Hopefully, the markets uh, come back a yeah. little better, at least interest in some some of these you know smaller, um, more technically focused markets that that seem to have built up enough traction this year, even though the the volumes are, are significantly lower than than the, the peak. Um, and uh, and and I'm sure we'll look for the rollout sometime around Denver. Uh, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe the timing here.
1: Yeah, good. Um, good guess. So, as we think about when to go make a lot of noise with deploy, um, right? We could do a hardcore press blitz, or um, we could go and maybe backstop a, a big old hackathon in our own backyard. So you'll have to stay tuned to to see when uh, when the noisy press releases start to start to come out. Good um alan thanks so much for joining uh it's uh, it's been
0: fun catching up as always and uh and really looking forward to what you and the rest of the team pull together
1: yeah i think so <laughs> uh,
0: thanks everyone for tuning in until next time peace that's a wrap thanks for listening new episodes of unqualified opinions go live weekdays at noon eastern time you can follow me in the meantime on twitter at two bit idiot if you want to continue the conversation or troll me otherwise i'll see you next week